don't know how many of you saw, before I get into the lesson, I don't know how many of you saw Tammy's Facebook page um, picture about that snake. Did anybody see that? Who all saw that? Yeah. So uh, we've got a little birdhouse that hangs down from our front porch. And we just saw the cycle of nature a little bit here. And um, we've got two, some bluebirds that always come and lay eggs in that little birdhouse. And you can hear them chirping in there, and you see the mom and the dad come and feed them. Well, we had a really hard rainstorm uh, earlier this week, and I had just gone in. So I don't know if that snake was just sitting around waiting for me to go in or what. Because just as soon as I got in, Tammy said, look at that snake. And he had crawled up on the, uh, the railing of our porch, and it had circled its way up the post. Now, I won't let it get up to them birds, because I told Tammy, I, said, I don't think it can get to those birds. And because the, the birdhouse was just too far away, and there was nothing for the snake to hang on. So it made its way up that post. It's just a black snake. And it sat there a second, and then it, it made its way on back down. And so I just I got a, um, something and just pushed it off the porch. And, then, of course, I let Sassy out on the leash, and she got after it a little bit, and it, it ran under the porch. But while that snake was up on the railing, the, the mama bird and the daddy bird came and was flying over it, making noise, you know, afraid for its children. And, and I, told, I sat there and told Tammy, I said, you know, that's right there is why the Bible says that all creation groans for the return of the Lord. Because one day we're not going to have to worry about snakes trying to get to the baby birds and all those things. One thing, everything will be right again. And it, and it did. I just thought about that. And one day, the day's coming, we just won't worry about those things anymore. Those birds won't have to worry about the snakes. And we won't have to worry about the main certain serpent, Satan. I'm looking forward to that day. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come into your house, Lord, and to, uh, God, to study and read your word. God, it's, uh, it's still true for everything that we deal with and cope with in life. And I ask tonight, God, that as I uh, attempt to, to uh, share this word, God, that you would anoint my words and that the, the things that I say will be true to how they were intended. And then most of all, it will glorify you all and everything we do this evening. In Christ's name, amen. So I want to talk about something uh, this evening that uh, unless you just have your head buried in the sand or you don't watch any um, media or any, any television that you have all been exposed to recently, and that is this idea of the social issues that seem to have so divided our uh, nation. And, and you know what they are. They're, our nation seems to be very divided over things like, and you've seen the protests I had first-hand encounters with those uh, when I was with the police department before I retired. And those social issues that seem to be so prevalent are things like racism, sexism. You've seen the mis- what they refer to as misogyny, you know, uh, taking advantage of women. We've seen that recently with the Bill Cosby case, and he was recently convicted. And then um, Weinstein and now the uh, Nor- uh, New York Attorney General, I don't know if y'all saw that recently, he, he stepped down. And, and it just goes on and on, economic inequality, classism, immigration, unfair judicial system, and there's just, our nation today, there's always seems to be somebody grieved about something. And as I go into this and as I talk about this, I, I want you to understand, I do believe there are injustices in our society. We, we live in a sinful and a fallen world, so there's going to be injustices in our society on both sides of the issue. And I'll explain that a little bit more as, as we go through, through, the, um, through the lesson. But um, they're not new. These types of things are not new to us. I, and I will tell you on a very current uh, trend is that I'm very concerned, and I know a lot of people of the law enforcement 
professional, very concerned about the results of, of yesterday's election for the sheriff and the DA of Durham County. Um, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, they, they run on very uh, social agendas as far as they, they ran on a lot of these issues, unfair justice system, all these things, uh, talks of decriminalizing street-level drug sales and all those things. And we'll see. We'll see what happens uh, with that. But I want to I look at I tried to look at this from a biblical perspective, which is what we should always do, is look at things from a biblical perspective. And I've been recent, not long ago I had read and studied out of the prophet Amos. And the prophet Amos dealt with many issues just like this with the nation of Israel. And I want to read something to you before I get into this as to what the condition was of the nation of Israel that prompted God to call Amos and prophesy to the nation of Israel. And I want you to listen to the, to the conditions of the nation of Israel, and I want you to tell me if it sounds familiar. Israel had reached new, uh, new political and military heights, but the religious situation was at an all-time low. Idolatry was rampant. The rich were living in luxury while the poor were oppressed. There was widespread immorality, and the judicial system was corrupt. The people interpreted their prosperity as a sign of God's blessing on them. Amos' task was to deliver the message that God was displeased with the nation. His patience was exhausted. Punishment was inevitable. The nation would be destroyed unless there was a change of heart. And as Amos 5.24 put it, a change that would let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. If you're going to follow with me tonight, and I hope you will, if you have your Bibles, if you will be looking at Amos chapter 4 and Amos chapter 5. I know some of you have them on electronic versions. But did that sound familiar? Could that be said? Could those very same things be said of the United States today? I, I, want, to, I, want, to, I just want to read, read those one more time. Israel had reached new political and military heights. I think that's true of us as a nation. We have political heights, and we certainly are still the greatest military power in the world. But the religious situation was at an all-time low. I think that's true here. I think the religious situation and the state of our nation, particularly as it relates to Christianity, is at an all-time low. Idolatry was rampant. We worship everything but God as a society as a whole. We, we success and money, status. The rich were living in luxury while the poor were oppressed. Now, I don't think in our nation, and like I said, I told you, there's going to be injustices on both sides of this. I don't necessarily think that the poor in the United States, as we, de as we define poor, are necessarily oppressed by the rich here. But I do think at times they're taken advantage of. I think the lottery system takes advantage of the rich, of the poor. Yeah. I do. I think it takes advantage of them. I know every time I go in a convenience store a lot of times, and I, most of the time it's when I'm in a hurry and some Yahoo is in there buying them lottery tickets, and I want to say, will you please get out of the way? And, and, and a lot of times when they're in there doing that, I look at them and I'm like, I wonder if they can afford that. But statistics show that most of the people in this lower socioeconomic level, the ones that, by the way, they're, they're, they're hoping for this windfall that, that, will, that will likely never come. But I don't think that the, that the poor are necessarily oppressed by the rich here in this, in this nation. But I think at times they are taken advantage of, and I think sometimes the rich take advantage of situations in our nation. There's widespread immorality. I don't have to say much about that as it relates to what's going on in our country. 
And the judicial system was corrupt. I don't think our judicial system is corrupt. I think, is it perfect? No. But I still think we have the best judicial system in the world. And is, are there corrupt people in it? Does things corrupt it at times? Yes, I've seen it. I'll share some examples as we go through uh, the study. And it says, the people interpreted their prosperity as a sign of God's blessings on them. And, you know, we still think that if we're not careful, we still look at a nation, an individual, and if they have a lot of material things, we say, well, that person's blessed. The nation's blessed. Folks, materialism and the things that we have, the money that we have, the cars, has nothing to do with the blessings of God. Now, I think those can come from God's hands, but sometimes someone can be very poor. And be very blessed by God. Have a close relationship with him. And we can have someone who's very rich have the same. So those things. But here today I still think we see if we're doing well. If the nation's doing well. If we're doing well economically. Then we must be blessed by by God. And that's not always the case. As Amos pointed out. So let's pick up at Amos chapter 4. Now in verse 1 through 3 what Amos has done. He has has, um, had rebuke for several nations that bordered Israel. But then he comes up to chapter 4 and he begins to, to deal specifically with the nation of Israel. So I'm going to read Amos chapter 4 verse 1 through 5. And if you want to follow along, then we'll go back and kind of take a verse by verse look at this. Amos said, Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountains of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, Bring wine and let us drink. The Lord has shown by his holiness. The, I'm sorry, the Lord has sworn by his holiness. Behold, the day shall come upon you when he will take you away with fish hooks and your posterity with fish hooks. You will go through broken walls, each one straight ahead of her, and you will be cast into Harmon, says the Lord. So I want to stop there and I want to take a look at verse 1 through 3. Amos starts out and he says, um, he says um, you cows of Bashan. Now ladies, don't get mad at me. But for whatever reason, Amos chose to address the wives of the influential leaders of the day. He, he didn't deal with the husbands. He, deal with, he dealt with the wives. Now, for whatever reason, it seems like they may have had a lot of influence over their husbands. Ladies, you have a lot of influence over men. You know you do. You, you, do I need to say Adam and Eve, Samson and Delilah? We all know that, that women have a lot of influence over us as men. And, and Amos chose to deal with them. And... and they were in the capital city. When he said the mountains of Samaria, he would have been referring there to the capital city. So he would have been talking to the leaders of the day. He would have been talking to the leaders of the wives of the day. That's who he'd been talking to. It would have been kind of like talking to maybe Melania and Donald Trump and the, or the governor and his wife. That's who he was addressing this to. And in essence, what he was saying to them was, look, you're, you're saying, hey, bring the wine. Let's live it up. Everything's going well for us, but you have what he say, you have opposed the poor and you have crushed the needy. These are some of the social justice issues that Amos was being critical of the nation with. And this is what he told him he would, would happen. He said that if, it, that if this continues, that God is going to take fish hooks for them and their posterity and he's going to take them away and their walls would be broken down. Now, Fish hooks, that was typically how the Assyrians dealt with their captors. And this prophecy was fulfilled later on. Israel went into captivity by the Assyrians some 70 years later. 
And the way they would lead their captors away, sometimes they'd put a hook through their nose or they'd put a hook in their jaw and they'd pull them away. That's how they would lead their captors. But he said, not only for you, but for your posterity, for your generations and your generations to come. And you know, and as I thought about this, I thought, you know, those wives and those wealthy people, those leaders of the day, just like people today, they, I'm sure they thought, well, you know, I want to give my kids the best. I want them to have a nice car. I want them to live in a nice house. I want them to have all these things. I'm going to knock this door and I'm going to hit this again before it's over too. So just might as well get used to it. So that's what's going to happen. But folks, let me, say, let me tell you this. Still the most precious thing that we can give our kids is to bring them up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. But that is not what was happening there. They were... They had forgotten about the Lord. They were living life the way they wanted to live it. And they had no concern for those who were, who were less fortunate than themselves. And Amos said, it's going to change. Let's pick up at Amos 4 and look at Amos 4 and 5. Amos says this. He says, come to Bethel and transgress. At Gilgal, multiply, your, multiply transgressions. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven. Proclaim and announce the free will offerings. For this you love, o you children of Israel, says the Lord God. When Amos was talking to Israel there, he was being sarcastic. Let me, let me, let me put this in, in, in some current language of what he may have been saying today. Or maybe even to America today. This is what he'd be saying. Come on to church as much as you like. Come, come play your games. Come on Christmas and Easter. If it makes you feel good. And while you're there, why not just throw a five or a 20 in the plate? Because that'll make you feel good. And talk about how good you are. That's what he was saying. In essence, that's what he was saying to the people of Israel. He was being sarcastic with them. He was telling them, look, your religious games coming are, are, not, are not what I want from you. They weren't seeking the heart of God. They were very religious. They were doing religious things. When I was studying this, this was dropped into my spirit, and I, I'll share this with you. It is this. God is not impressed with our religion because it leads to oppression. Religion always leads to oppression. You, we can be as religious as we want to be. But until we have a heart change, we can do all the things. We can come into church buildings. We can have programs. But if we're not doing things to change our heart, to change the heart of people, to point them to Christ, then it's religion. And it will always lead to oppression. And a relationship with Jesus Christ and a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ always causes a heart change. It always causes us to look at people differently and look at the needy. But that's not what is happening in Amos' day. Let's pick it up at Amos 5, 4 through 7. What has happened now is that um, God brings a series of disasters onto Israel because of their arrogance and their failure to change their ways. And in Amos 5, 4 through 7, it's called a call to repentance. And Amos says this, For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel, nor enter Gilgal, nor pass over Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to nothing. I don't think that was Bethel Church, by the way. I think that was another place. 
Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and devour it, with no one to quench it in Bethel. You who turn justice to wormwood and lay righteousness to the rest of the earth. Let's take a look at um, what Amos was saying there to the nation of Israel. In verse 4, he said, seek me and live. God is not concerned about our religious activity. He's not really concerned about our church church attendance, the programs that we have. All that flow out of a relationship with him. What he wants us to do, what he wanted the nation of Israel to do was seek him. But that is not what they were doing. And the nation was paying a heavy price for that. He said, do not, do not seek Bethel, don't, don't seek the church, don't seek the building, don't enter Gilgal or pass over Beersheba. They shall come to the captivity and nothing. Religious activities, religious things always come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live unless he break out like fire in the house of Joseph, which is also a, a synonym for Israel, and devour it with no one to quench it in Bethel. And then verse 7, he says, You who turn justice into wormwood and lay righteousness to rest in the the earth. He said, You, Israel, who turn justice into wormwood. Wormwood was a bitter plant. There was no signs of any type of justice in the nation. And they had laid righteousness to rest in the earth. In Amos 5, 10 through 15, he points out their specific injustices. In verse 10, he said this. He, he, he said, you hate those, hate those who rebukes at the gate and speaks uprightly. Let me, let me read 10 through 15 and we'll come back and look at each, at each verse. Let's just read the whole passage. Amos 5, 10 through 15. He says, they hate, they hate the one who rebukes at the gate and they abhor the one who speaks uprightly. Therefore, because you tread down the poor and take grain taxes from him, Though you have built houses of hewn stone, yet you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink wine from them. For I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins, afflicting the just and taking bribes, diverting the poor from justice at the gate. Therefore, the prudent keep silent at the time, for it is a time of evil. Seek God and not evil that you may live, so the Lord God of hosts will be with you. As you have spoken, hate evil, love good. Establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. These are the things specifically that Amos was condemning the nation of Israel for. He said, you hate those who rebukes at the gate and speaks uprightly. The gate, most of the time in the Old Testament, referred to the political center. And so... Isn't it today that those who are in power, they do not like for someone, and even sometimes in our church, for someone to rebuke them or speak uprightly to them? People, politicians, people in power today, they do not like someone to come in and say, what you're doing is wrong. This shouldn't be this way. Particularly when it's based off biblical principle. And that's what Amos said to them. You hate those who rebuke at the gate and speak uprightly. And he said, you tread down the poor. Take taxes while you live in houses hewn in stone. Though most of the people during that time, they would not have lived in a, in a house hewn in stone. Those who lived in a house hewn in stone would have been the most wealthy of the society that day. 
of that day. And he said, you tread down the poor. Once again, I don't think that the poor are necessarily taken advantage of by the rich here. But there is a, a large disparity. We do have very wealthy, but we live in a capitalistic society. This, this was not likely not a capitalistic society. And I told you there's injustice on both sides of this issue. And I will tell you that statistically, the top 1% of, of wage earners in our nation pay over 80, 90% of the tax, which I think in times is unjust. I don't, I don't think it's always right to take someone who has worked hard, honest gain, maybe built a successful business, and say to them, I'm going to continue to tax, continue to tax, continue to tax, and then at the expense of someone else. I think that's, not, I think that's an injustice. But at the same token, we do have times where people who are poor are taken advantage of. We live in a sinful, fallen world. We're never going to live in a perfect system until Christ returns. But in this case, they were taking advantage. I will tell you that this year when I had to pay my taxes, I thought I paid too much tax. I still think I paid too much tax. And I don't like it. But here's, what, here's, what I want, here's where I won't allow myself to get to. Because see, you see the people on the streets that are all around the cities now begging for money. And, and what I can't allow myself to get to as a follower of Christ is say, that bum needs to get a job. That might be true. That, might, that person may be in that circumstance because of choices they've made in their life. But as a follower of Christ, that is not an attitude that I can allow to, to harbor in my spirit. The Bible does say if a man, man won't work, a man don't eat. I remember telling a guy at work about that. See, he knew nothing about the Bible like most people. And he was, he was a police officer, so he was a pretty hardened guy, like, like they all can be at times. And we were talking about some of these issues, and I said, you know, the Bible says a man don't work, the man don't eat. He said, you need to tell me where that scripture is. So, I mean, he, he wanted to know where that one was. And there was a lot of others I think he would have been better off to know. But we can't, as followers of Christ, we can't get to that point. We have to always, and I'm going to show you why as we get into the New Testament, and we look at how Christ dealt with people, we have to always have some compassion. Because like, for those of you who were here when Colin did his presentation, like, like he said, the only difference potentially between me and maybe, and I have a, I don't know, if you, how many of you have ever seen that guy in a wheelchair over by Lowe's? Have y'all seen him? High school, uh, childhood friend of mine. His name's Gray Emery. It could very well be, and I know what Gray's upbringing was like. It could be the only difference between me and you know, Gray Emery was the way we were raised. So I, 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 as, a, as a follower of Christ, I always look at Gray with compassion in my heart. He, I've told this story before. He used to sit up at the off-ramp of 15501 on the Hillsborough Road. And I stopped there one day, and, and when I realized who he was, and I gave him one of our church devotionals and a $5 and a gift card from Chick-fil-A. I wouldn't give him money. And I, I don't advise you all to give, give money. Uh, but because I don't want to be in that, I don't want that, to get into my spirit is how I deal with people who are less fortunate to me. And in verse 12, he said, Afflicting the just and taking bribes, diverting the poor from justice at the gate. Afflicting the just and taking bribes. How many of you, are there bribes that happen in the judicial system and in our world today? Absolutely. You see it all the time. You see politicians charged, influential people charged from taking bribes. Most recently, there was one that was a Fayetteville politician. I don't, did anybody see that? Remember that? Yes. This guy caught on audio tape. 
taking a bribe to push through something through the, through the city, the Fayetteville City Council, and now he won't, he won't resign. They're having to come up with a way to kick him out. He is so arrogant, he won't even resign, taking bribes, diverting the poor from justice at the gate. You know, I've got quite a bit of experience with the justice system. And, you know, they say that justice is blind. Maybe, maybe, but I will tell you what does impact justice. I'll tell you what does impact justice. Money. Money. I have seen people that had money, had influence, could get different outcomes in a judicial system because of their money and their influence. You all know that's true. I'll give you my opinion. This is just my opinion. You may have a different one, and that's okay. I think if O.J. Simpson had been a poor African-American man, I think he'd probably be in jail right now. I think he probably would have been given a public defender. That would have been one of 100 cases like him, and he would probably be sitting in jail. Okay? Now, whether or not you think O.J. Simpson got it, that'll be between you. But he had money, and he had influence, and he was able to hire, hire very high-powered attorneys. Let me give you another uh, local example of how I see, how we see things and injustices working. And it always, many times I want to make it about race. I think classism and money impact our society a lot, sometimes more than that. Before I retired, I remember um, getting a call one night that a white female prostitute had been caught in crossfire of two gangbangers and she'd been killed. And I um, went out, went out to most homicide scenes. I went out. It was the middle of the night, and here she lays on the sidewalk, just laying there. And I looked around, and you know, and it's there's a lot of people around. And I thought, I wonder if anybody cares that this young lady is laying here like this, you know. But she happened to be at the corner of Liberty and Holloway, and there's a Baptist church there, and it's called Antioch Baptist Church. Antioch Baptist Church was pastored by a at that time, a county commissioner by the name of Michael Page. Pastor, you know Michael Page. And Michael Page was influenced. Michael Page, African-American man, this was a white female. So there might have been a blurb on the news about there being a homicide in Durham, but that was about the extent of it because she was a prostitute. And we didn't get any grief from a, as a police agency about that. But I want to tell you one thing. Had that been Michael Page walking out of his church at Antioch Baptist and he'd have been the one shot, we'd have turned Durham upside down because something would have had to been done about the crime. Is one life more important than the other? In our society of injustice, it is. In God's eyes, it's not. So there are injustices in our system. I found this interesting in um, verse 13. He said, The prudent keeps silent, for it is an evil time. And I wondered what was meant by that. The prudent keeps silent. How many times have I been in a situation, maybe you've been in a situation where you just hear some nonsense being talked about society and what the answers are, and you just choose to sit there and be quiet? I have a many a time, particularly in some of the meetings I was in. Maybe you've been in some of your workplace meetings where you, there are people have just been talking about politics or talking about what's right and what's wrong. And you're sitting there going, what in the world? And you choose to be silent. Ecclesiastes 3.7 says there's a time to speak and a time to be silent. I think maybe what was going on was there was still a lot of people who trusted the Lord, who kept his precepts in that day of Israel. And they were listening to all the leaders and all the foolishness that they were talking about. And they were thinking, there's no need to even talk about this. 
Maybe they didn't like today. Maybe they didn't want to be attacked. Maybe they didn't want to be labeled. That happens today. But the Bible says, the prudent kept silent, for it was an evil time. Hate evil and love good. Establish justice at the gate. It may be that the Lord of hosts will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Amos was very, very critical of the condition of the nation of Israel at that time. But it's no different really than here. No different than here. You may say, well, look, that's Old Testament. That was Israel. What about, what about today or what about in Jesus' day? Well, take, if you will, look, look at Matthew 23, 1 through 23. Now, I'm not going to read all that. I'm just going to summarize that to you. That is where Jesus blistered the Pharisees and the Sadducees about how hypocritical they were about how they created all these rules that they couldn't keep. They wanted to keep their uh, places of position. They wanted to keep the, the, um, the, the lower-level Jews down. They wanted to be the people of honor. And Jesus ripped into them. You know, I think about, you see some of the debates today amongst Christians, and you see some Christians attacking other Christians, and all these things going on. All I can tell you is, as I've studied the New Testament, and I'm not a scholar by any stretch of imagination. Many of you know the scriptures much better than I do. But the only people that I really see Jesus just tearing apart is the religious leaders of that day and how they treat. He was gracious to the sinner. Jesus was very gracious to the sinner. But he wasn't gracious to these guys here. But he finished up in verse 23 with this. He said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. In Micah 6 8, one of my favorite scriptures, it says, What does the Lord require of me? It says, What does the Lord require? to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with my God. So Jesus said, listen, you've put all these extra rules. You've done all these things. You're tithing. They were doing just what the leaders of Israel were doing. They were doing all the religious stuff. They wanted to look good. They were tithing. But he said, you should have done those things, but not neglected the weightier matters of law. Law could be morality there. Law could be the big issues. Justice and mercy. Having mercy on people. Looking at those who are different from us. Looking for those who are in uh, less economic situations than us. And rather than getting into all this stuff, is having mercy on those folks. And faith. Folks, when we have an encounter with Christ, when the gospel impacts us, it causes us to... Look at people differently, regardless of who they are and regardless of their situation. I want to close with this. I'm going to close with an example of this. One encounter Jesus had with one woman, he dealt with nearly every barrier you can imagine as it relates to these social justice issues, and he, and he destroyed every single one of them. And one encounter, and that was with the woman at the well. 
And that's found in John chapter 4, verses 1 through uh, 26. And once again, I'm not going to read that entire passage of Scripture. I'm just going to summarize for you. But I want to look at all the different issues and all the different reasons that Jesus shouldn't even have had that encounter with that woman by the standards of the day. So Jesus is going along, and the Bible says he needed to go through Samaria. His, his disciples had gone to get something to eat. It says he needed to go through Samaria. Most of the time, a, Jew, a Jewish rabbi particularly would have avoided Samaria. But he said, I need to go through Samaria. I think he knew, obviously he being the son of God, he knew, I'm getting to have an encounter there. And I'm going to rock my disciples' world and everybody else's world because of what I'm going to do and say with that encounter. And he comes upon this well, and he sees a woman come, and she's drawing water. And Jesus looks at her, and he says, uh, give me a drink. So right there, he's done violated two of the biggest social barriers that should have never happened. One, he's a, he's a Jewish rabbi. He's a Jewish man. He should not have been speaking to no woman. And as a matter of fact, she, she said to him, why are you speaking to me, a Samaritan woman? So he's done broke down the gender barrier. He said, look, I'm going to give you some water. You're going to drink of this water and you're going to thirst again, but I'm going to give you some you're never going to thirst again. But he spoke to her as a woman, and then he spoke to her as a Jew to a Samaritan. Now, the the Jews and Samaritans did not like each other. The Jews thought the Samaritans were half-breeds. During during Assyrian captivity, some of the Jews had had relations with some of the Assyrians and had taken on some of their customs, and the pure Jews had nothing to do with them. So you got here Jesus is, he's talking to a woman, and he's talking to a Samaritan woman. Two big no-nos of his day. And then he dealt with the religion. He dealt with the religion. The Samaritans had a place of worship, and the Jews had a place of worship. And and the Samaritan woman said to him, you you Jews say that we have to worship in Jerusalem, at, at, at your temple. And Jesus said to her, the day is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship me in spirit, worship God in spirit and in truth. See, I'm going to do away with the barrier. I'm going to do away with the religious barrier. Jesus was going to do away with the gender barrier. He was going to do away with the race barrier and the socioeconomic barrier. This woman had been married a few times. So being a Jewish woman in the first century married a few times, you can bet she was poor. But he didn't care. He had, a, he had an appointment with her. But here's the biggest barrier he dealt with, which is the cause of all these things. Everybody's trying to figure out, what do we do? Why, why are there disparities? Why are there rich? Why are there poor? Why are there uh, strife between the races? Why are there disparities in the justice system? Why, why, why? And we look for answers, and we try to find ways to change it. And most of the time, it just pushes people further apart. It makes people more angry because we're trying to solve these problems from a humanistic standpoint. And we don't want to deal with the real issue. And that was one of the things that frustrated me most when I was still working. I would sit in some of these meetings, and, and, and many times in these meetings you would always have ministers in there because there's always, there is always a faith component to the answer. But quite frankly, Bethel, I'm going to tell you, if a minister is not going to come in, and I don't think that pastor is concerned about the soul and the sin problem, If they're more concerned about the 
financial situation or the race situation and all these situations. I'm concerned about that because I know what the root cause of it is. And as a pastor, they need to be most concerned about the root cause. And that's what Jesus dealt with ultimately with the woman at the well. He said, go get your husband. She said, I, I don't have one of those. He said, I, yeah, you've, you've spoken rightly. And, and you've been married four times, and the man you're living with now, he's not your husband. He dealt with her sin problem. That's what he dealt with. He dealt with the sin problem. He got to right where she was. He didn't criticize her. And he told her, he said, I'm going to give you living water. And you know what he else he did? He revealed his messiahship to that woman. That was the first person he, dealed, he revealed his messiahship to. He wanted her to know that she had access to the God of heaven. It didn't matter what her race was. It didn't matter how much money she had. It did not matter her socioeconomic, her gender, none of that. Christ came, to, Christ came for all people. And he is for all people. We're looking for answers. You're going to continue to see these social justice issues explode. And you're going to see people at each other's throat. But until we are willing to come and humble ourselves before the Lord and have him penetrate our hearts, it's just going to, and, and, and as long as man keeps thinking he has the answer, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. Because we never have the answer. We don't have the answer within ourselves. The answer is always found in him. The answer is found in Christ. How are we as followers of Christ to deal with the social issues and barriers like he did? One encounter at a time. One encounter at a time. I don't think you're likely, I'm not likely to go out on some big campaign somewhere and you know, get a big organization started. But I tell you what I will do. I will have encounters with the Gray Emery's that, that sit at Lowe's. I will have encounters with my coworker that maybe is different from me. I will have encounters at church and other places with people who are different from me, don't look like me. But I need to look at them like Christ looked at the woman at the well as someone who needs a Savior. And that transcends all social divisions. And that's the answer. He is the answer. A heart impacted by the power of the gospel will love people regardless of their race, regardless of their class, regardless of their religion, and regardless of their gender. The church of Jesus Christ is going to be made up of all kinds of people. All races, all ages, all socioeconomic statuses. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. Mark, I'm going to ask you if you'll start the music. And let's, um, let's come and pray. Pray for the city. Pray for the nation. Think about your one encounter at a time. Think about someone maybe that um, God's put in your path. Maybe they don't even believe like you do. Maybe they have a different religion than you. It's okay. Anger is not the answer. Division is not the answer. You go in and you show who Christ is and then live it. And then just simply live it. And help where you can. And you, for all we know, you might be the one who changes one heart at a time. God will use you to change one heart at a time.